your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich. In studio with me on this lovely Friday to get ready for the weekend. It's my good buddy Harmon Dial. Harm, what's going on, man? Nothing much, man. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. You know, another week in the books here. Um, it's been uh, it's been good getting back into the rhythm. You know, the holidays always throw things off. Took a few days off there, and and obviously we didn't have games over Christmas. So now it's it's fine. We're kind of like settling back into a rhythm. So I'm excited about it. And I mean, I'm still buzzing a little bit after that um, the World Junior Championship gold medal game. Right? How much of the tournament do you do you get a chance to watch? So I took the last week of December off. So I mostly kept up via highlights. Yep. To be totally well, honest, that's the best way to watch a game. Exactly, and, and I've and I've uh, already had uh, so much hockey hockey on my plate. You know, you you can't miss what the Vancouver Canucks are doing in that Grade A hockey. You know, um, <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, that was a fun sort of tournament to just even generally keep up with. And there were points where uh, I don't know if you expected Canada to to you know come out on top in mm-hmm. in that tournament, given the way that they obviously lost initially. Yeah. To uh, to check you and yeah. um, just well, they, they didn't look like if it wasn't for Bedard's magic, I think there were some shaky moments and some question marks around them. So the way that they were able to kind of build that two zero lead and then all of a sudden blow that lead and then the overtime winner that was uh, that was pretty dramatic. Yeah, it was dramatic, and it also felt like I think uh, generally a, a common critique of of the World Juniors is how like non-competitive it can feel at times right like and we certainly had a few blowouts there where, where Canada just you know won 11 nothing for example in, in one of the preliminary games but for the most part when it mattered it felt like a lot of these games were really competitive and tightly played and even you know there was obviously like overtime drama and and, and all that so I think there's pros and cons clearly with using tournaments like this which are kind of like one-offs to build like scouting portfolios yeah. on right like i think we've seen time and time again there's been so many mistakes made over the years where especially like the most high profile sort of sort of scouting scouting showcase like this if you just like base everything off of seven games or, or however many they play you're gonna wind up wondering why certain picks were made and we've seen teams kind of fall into that trap before now i don't think anyone's basing their opinion on Connor bedard just based off of these seven games there's everything that comes before it but it was kind of cool seeing him on the biggest stage flex his muscles in that way and kind of show like just like how superior of a prospect he is to to any of his peers really like you rarely see a guy who's who's draft eligible like that put up the type of performance that he did absolutely and it was pretty crazy especially because I think a lot of us thought that okay, Bedard might have a chance to be the best tournament, the best player at this tournament. But I don't think anybody would have expected him to clip at what like four points a game or whatever it was. And it was so dominant that it don't like it stole the spotlight from a guy like Logan Cooley, right? Who was having a great tournament in his own right, but Bedard had almost double the points that he did. Well, here's the stats: seven games, nine goals, fourteen assists, so twenty-three points total. Canada scored 42 goals as a team, so he he factored into 23 of 42. A stat by our pal Cam Robinson for another podcast. Connor Bernard had 23 points. No other first-time draft-eligible skater had more than six. I think Leo Carlson, I believe, who is also yeah. a consensus top three pick, it feels like at this point probably third, had six points and, and had a good tournament himself. But it kind of just shows you like the the gap in a way. And some of the players, like he didn't even... You know, off off the score sheet, 
in the final, but there was like the play where he's like diving and, and gets it over to a teammate for a great scoring chance. Like it felt like he was just, he was so electric. And, and I really felt watching more extended um, segments of Connor Bedard. Cause he, when he's playing in his, for his club team, you see the highlights, you see the stats, but you're not really following it that closely watching him on this stage. That shot, my goodness. Like it's, I, I think that plays immediately. Like I think like, Oh yeah. From a physicality perspective, I'm sure there would be growing pains if you just dropped him into the NHL right now. But I, I really do feel like he could score 30 ish goals right now, just purely based off of getting that release off and goalies just like NHL goalies similarly will wind up looking foolish. Just like a lot of these major junior goalies are right now. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised. I don't think this is the most likely outcome, but if he comes in as a rookie and scores 40, Hmm. it's not going to, it's not going to be a huge shock to me just because of how deceptive that release is. And the other, the other interesting component is, I think the World Juniors was interesting because we also got a chance to see him with elite talent around him. Whereas when he's playing in junior in the, in, in the WHL for the Regina Pats, he doesn't have a lot of help well, around him. There's a lot of Connor Bedard magic gets his fifth point of the game and cuts the deficit to seven six. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, no, I, I, that's like the, the, the deception is, is is a great point. It really feels like. I mean, I don't know really how you play it because you almost can't. You almost, you almost get frozen because you can't really play for the shot because he's such a good playmaker, and as he showed, he'll burn you with like crossing passes and easy backdoor tap-ins. But then, if you don't respect the shot, then he'll just step into it, pick his corner, and and beat you that way as well. It's it's going to be a real problem, and I I really think like yeah, it's going to play right away. It's it's very rare. I'm generally skeptical of like prospects, regardless of how good they look at lower levels coming in and making a dramatic difference right away. I, I I would be stunned if he's not scoring a ton of goals as soon as next year. I, I just don't know how, when he's at his prime, you're going to be able to defend him one-on-one because mm. of that ability to... Like, I can already imagine so many scenarios as a defenseman where you think you've gapped up gapped up on him, yep. and he's coming off the rush, and you, and you think you're in the right position. You've got to stick in the lane. You've got a decent body position. But the way that he can just curl and drag almost Matthews-like... Yep. And just alter the shooting angle last minute to find that hole and get it through traffic. That's just like you're, you're going to have to, as a defenseman, be right on him. And and there has to be zero breathing room because if there's any window of opportunity, he has the hands to sort of be able to manufacture even given the smallest daylight. And he's going to be able to sort of take advantage of it and exploit it. And that's really, really dangerous to think about if you're a defenseman. Well, your colleague at The Athletic, Don Lushishan put out some projections now obviously there's a lot of gray area here and, and most of it is based off of nhle which is subject to error but it's kind of the best we have to work off of his initial projection for year one of Connor bedard in the nhl is 72 points and 2.6 wins added which are very very elite rarefied error numbers and then sounds about right like I, I don't think it's it's outlandish. Like obviously, it depends on kind of which team he goes to, the situation he's in. There's a lot of time between now and then. But yeah, if you're projecting out ahead, it's it's sounds kind of in line with what I'd expect. Yeah, like if he ends up on a team like Columbus with John, and he's on on a line with Johnny Gaudreau all of a sudden, then why not, right? Of course, if he's on Arizona, it's it's a bit of a different story in terms of the in terms of the talent around him. But yeah. I yeah, I mean that sounded about right when I read that article. 
And I think the biggest sort of question with Bedard I've sort of been pondering is, and it's been interesting because seeing different draft evaluators, I'm not a prospects expert, so I, mm-hmm. I tend to lean on um, the ones who study these who guys the work, for a living. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. And it's been interesting seeing the sort of differing opinion on, well, who is he the best prospect since? Is mm-hmm. he the best prospect since Matthews? Is he the best prospect since McDavid? I even saw someone say he's the best prospect since Crosby, which I thought was a okay. Let's relax. You know, I think that's a yes, stretch. Yeah, but um, like that's what I've been wondering. But is, that's the company like, he's keeping. Yeah, and yeah. like I'm curious to you know kind of get your opinion and perspective. Where do you think he slots compared to say an Austin Matthews? I don't know. Like like you said, I'm I'm in the same boat as you, where I I haven't put nearly the amount of work in in terms of like not only watching these guys at the lower levels, but like thinking about this stuff. Yeah. Like I'm more so I'm, I'm, I'm just giddy about the opportunity to watch him every night at the NHL level, starting with next season. And so like, that's going to be appointment viewing no matter where he lands. So I'm just I'm not, not to give you like a non-answer because that's not very satisfying, yeah. but I, I don't know. He's right up there. Like he's in that group. It's, it's, it's a distinguished group. And it's like, it's something that I know every year we kind of, we go, it's, it's cyclical, right? Like there's like, oh, this is going to be a good draft or this is going to be a bad draft. And then you have like ebbs and flows throughout the draft year itself where depending on how guys are playing or producing at the moment, you can talk yourself into any number of guys. And it feels like as we get closer to the draft, everyone is just so excited about the like the possibilities and the realization once we know who's picking where and where these guys are going to go. We just kind of like talk ourselves into every draft is good, right? And, and, yeah. and certainly every draft, I think what distinguishes a good and bad draft is like the predictability or confidence we have in terms of the top. Right. Whereas like every year it feels like we're no matter how good you think the draft is, there's going to be at least a handful of guys who five or six years out are going to wind up being difference makers in the NHL. They just might be drafted in the teens or the twenties or like second or third round as opposed to all being stacked at the top. But this is about as, for as long as I've been doing this professionally, this is about like as confident as I've been in a guy stepping in and being awesome right away. Definitely. And the interesting thing with um, with kind of just looking at uh, at the at the draft as a whole, and, and especially with the, with what this tournament kind of did was, I feel like every year in the lead up to the draft, there's like when we get closer, there's always this this discussion of the the oh is the consensus number two should he be ranked ahead of the consensus number one, and there's there's that contrarian perspective where I don't know if you remember even in 2016 for example the. The, the outside push of like, oh, should Line go number one? And it's like, that was starting to build a little bit yeah. with uh, with Fantilli. I think everyone still had Bedard as their number one, but it was at least a conversation with how strong Fantilli was looking in, in at the University of Michigan, even if it's just to, you know, for, for people in the media, just to create conversation and discussion. But with the, with the type of performance that Bedard had, like you can't even have that, you know, no one can have that contrarian opinion anymore leading in, leading up to uh leading up to june like like we usually do where it's like oh could this number two guy is is he a potential challenger like there's no like there's no question at this point it's such a slam dunk well i think under different circumstances if matt Mechkov was playing in this tournament yeah. and there was like no uncertainty about Contact his nhl status, eligibility yeah. if he was going to be there from day one i think there'd be a bit more wiggle room or latitude in that debate but still i mean it's 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 Bedard, and I think we don't need to like drum up 
fake interest or drama or talking yeah. points to be like, I don't know, this guy's <laughs> doing pretty well, not to diminish the prospects, the prospect status of any of these guys because they're obviously all great players. And and I think that that actually does loop into what I want to talk about next, which was this idea of like tanking for this guy and 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 how the bottom of the league is going to wind up shaking out because you know under the under the newer or adjusted draft model, if you finish last, thirty second in the league, you're guaranteed a top three pick, and it really does feel like that top three or four this year is, is really kind of lifting itself head and shoulders. It goes Bedard and then like two or three more and then there's a drop off. And so I think it, it adds even more, not pressure, but importance for some of these teams to be as bad as they possibly can. Now I've heard a, a talking point has been, oh, well, does this performance that you've seen from Bedard at this tournament incentivize teams even more to to really like do everything they can to in- improve their draft lottery odds? And I think, if you're just starting to come around to that, you're probably a bit late to the game. Like that, <laughs> I think. I mean, the Blackhawks have been doing a a pretty spectacular job of committing as fully as possible to that. And I think at this point, the Blue Jackets are pretty close to them. I have it here. The, the Blackhawks have 20 points in 37 games. The Blue Jackets are 24 and 37, and then the Ducks are down at, at 26 and 39. It's going to be pretty tough, I think, for anyone to to catch the Blackhawks at this point in terms of pure pure badness and and and, and just like i think they almost it, it, they're going to be a runaway favorite in terms of finishing 32nd now yeah that only gives you 25.5 percent or yeah 25.5 percent odds and i guarantee top three pick but that's huge right like if you look at the odd distribution 25.5 13.5 11.5 9. 9.5 8.5 and then it keeps going down like that i know for it's like a tough thing to to wrap your head around because this far out it's like oh a couple percent here or there like it's important right yeah. I, I think that's how important that's how uh foundational and franchise altering this draft could be for these four or five teams at the bottom of the league. Like yes, you should be losing every single game you possibly can. And because and it's because of what you mentioned in terms of it's not just Bedard, right? Yes, you if you're a team like the Blackhawks and you end up finishing thirty second you not only get that 25-ish percent shot, that one in four shot at Bedard, but you're basically guaranteeing that you're going to get one of the really upper echelon right. guys, like whether it's a Fentilia, Mechkov, or, or Carlson. And even those guys in their own right look like they're going to be franchise-changing sort of players. So in a way, you're securing yourself a franchise player, like you're guaranteeing it in that sort of spot. And then it's just a matter of, okay, could we also land the borderline generational talent? And I'm with you in terms of, I don't think anyone's going to catch Chicago. Yeah. Especially the run that, you know, they had the surprise first 10 to 15 games. And it's like, look at these crappy black It's incredible to think how bad it could be if they didn't have that. Yeah. Right? And Stalock was just unbelievable in that that early season stretch. And I'm sure Kyle Davidson was going, what the hell? I, I brought in, I brought in two goalies that I thought would, you know, it would be okay. It didn't want anyone stealing games here, but the losing streak that they that they've been on since, and especially with some of the pending UFAs that they sort of have, that they'll probably ship out at the deadline. Whether it be a Max Domi, obviously Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, their futures are up in the air. Andreas Athanasiu, they're such a bad team, and they, I mean, other teams are in a situation too where they'll, where they'll be selling, but you're still looking at the worst team in hockey, who's been on an unbelievable losing stretch peeling even more assets off the roster yeah 
Yeah, the competition is is very very strong this year. No, I mean it, it's it's weird to think about because I think heading into the year, it was it was kind of a joke, but I think it was it was based in reality. It was like, oh, the Coyotes are really really going for it, right? And you looked at the roster they had, and it was like, yeah, this is not like it's pretty clear what they're trying to accomplish here, and they're only twenty eighth. I believe in point percentage right now, right? Like they've got 31 points in 37 games. And I keep thinking back to this, like it, it's, it's an awesome, like I love Corel Vamelka and I make my Corel the thrill jokes and, and he's been excellent. If you're the Coyotes though, it's like, it's getting to the point where he's, he's too good. Like he, he's too good for you. I mean, he has plus 7.4 goal save above expected, which is 13th best in the league. And that came down after they got thralled a bit by the Flyers last night. Like it was in the double digits before that. 905 save percentage despite like a horrible defensive environment and he's 26 he's on a pretty good contract right he makes 2.725 for two more years after this one so it's not a matter of like you necessarily just wanting to get him out of town because he's a legitimately good asset for you moving forward but it's really running counter to everything you're trying to accomplish this season and he's almost single-handedly submarine he's having like a, a Connor McDavid-ish season from the perspective of carrying his team despite everything around him in a weird way, right? It's like almost the, yeah. it's the opposite of what they're trying to accomplish. Exactly. And that's actually when you mentioned we were going to talk about the idea of tanking. That was exactly what I was thinking about with Arizona was, first of all, how motivated are they going to be to expedite, for example, the Jacob Chikrin it's been such a long saga and they'll, and they'll say like, yeah, we've got, we've got time and they're going to be patient in terms of, they have a really high asking price and they want someone to meet that, but how how much could the tank race and how far some of these teams are separating themselves influence whether they want to move on from him quicker and create a longer runway for them to be really bad? And it, especially with, with Vimelka, I did wonder, like, yeah, you don't have to move him and he's a really valuable asset, but not just strictly from the perspective of, of tanking, but we know in today's NHL that premium goaltending is at a shortage and I think it was uh, Eric Duhatchik who had a really interesting sort of idea of you know what if what if a team like the Kings wanted a package deal for Chikorin and Vimelka and like what could you get for Vimelka and cash in on that asset well yeah I think Elliot Freeman also had that in a 32 thoughts recently it's ironic because the two teams that I've seen most closely linked to Chikrin as landing spots have been the Kings and the Buffalo Sabres as like emerging as a, as a second dark horse. And Krelva Melka would probably be more valuable to both of those teams yeah. at this point, especially if, if, if he can keep up this level of play. Now there's obviously much more volatility and uncertainty involved than with any goalie. I wouldn't feel much confidence saying like, all right, we should just trade for Krelva Melka and he's going to keep this up the way he's played in Arizona. But I'm 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 skeptical. This came up with with when Rana was on waivers the other day, and there was this idea that these tanking teams couldn't afford to pick him up because it would it would affect their results, right? And in, in, in terms of like maybe getting them wins they don't mm-hmm. want. And I just think we overstate how much most skaters are actually worth when everything around them is that bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like I I really even for Arizona I'm I'm kind of dubious that as well as Jacob Chikrin has played since he came back from injury, that he's going to be the differentiator between winning and losing a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. Now, Karel stopping 39 of 41 shots he faces and standing on his head and beating a, a legitimate contender will. And 
I think so. I, I think it's almost like it, it, they're two separate things. I, I think right. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't trade Jacob Chikrin just for the sake of trying to be mm-hmm. bad this year. Like I think they, they they're totally in the right to wait it out and hope that someone panics and, and overpays. But for, for Melka, I actually feel kind of kind of the opposite. Like I feel like they almost need to they need to maybe send him for like an MRI. And be yeah. like, oh, Corral, we're, we're a bit worried about your physicals here. I think I think you might need to take a couple of weeks off. He already got his three-year contract to yeah, start you got the season, a sore so back fine. from carrying yeah. us. Like, yeah. yeah, maybe you need a breather. Corral, um, are you going to go away for all-star break? Um, I don't know. It's a couple of weeks from now. I'm not thinking about it. No, you should get a head start yeah. on that. You should, uh, spend, you should... spend some extra time in Florida. We'll pay for it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and the other one that I had here was, was the Ducks, who they're behind the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets right now in terms of point percentage, the 30th. Which is a tough break for them because they're last in the league in regulation wins. They're last in the league in goal differential. They're 31st in offense and 31st in defense. Yet somehow there's two teams that are ahead of them in the tanking race right now. And if I like everything has gone about as poorly as it could have for Anaheim so far, and they're probably due for a bit better luck and better performance and Gibson stealing them a few more games down the stretch here. And so like that's gonna I wouldn't even expect them to be as bad as some of these teams, as horrific as their defensive structure has been and everything. But given how the first 35 to 40 games have gone, like you would think that they'd be a lock right now at 32nd and somehow they're not even, it's almost a testament to just how bad the Blackhawks have been. Yeah. And I think it's a testament to how many teams have purposely tried to be bad. Yeah. Right. I think the Ducks. Yeah. Cause they didn't go into this year. Right. They spent, they, they brought in Klingberg. Yeah, they Strom, spent money on Strom, Vitrano, exactly. Like yeah. they, they, well, I mean, part of it was also they had to get to the cap floor, which, um, which, yeah, they, you know, well, that's never and, stopped the well, Coyotes. Well, that's the Blackhawks yeah. are, are going to have to do next season as well with, you know, Kane and Taves and, and all this, you know, even Domi and Athanasiu coming off the books. But you're right. The the Ducks kind of had their fire sale at the last deadline, but I don't think a lot of us looked at them, especially because of the first half that they had last season. I don't think a lot of us looked at them looked at them and thought, oh, they're going to be in the Conor Bedard sweepstakes. And yet, like, that, the lack of that purpose is kind of why, like, it's just like there are too many teams that are purposely trying to be so terrible that no matter how bad the Ducks have been kind of on accident, that it's, it's, it's kind of just like, well, it's too bad for you guys. Unlucky there. Well, that's why, like, every time I bump into our pal Tom Drance, whether it's here in the studio or whether it's just on the streets of Vancouver where he's ranting and raving about some college basketball parlay that he's got <laughs> going on. He's just trying to tell you about how the Canucks need to be losing as much as possible to join these Bedard sweepstakes. And, and I have some bad news for him. I, I, I think this Canucks team stinks. These other teams are so far ahead of the game in that regard that it's going to be tough. Now, I think it's possible to get into that 7.5, 8.5% range at least if you fully bottom out, and, and that's better than nothing. But... It's going to be pretty tricky at this point. Like these teams have such a big head start, and and I, I think it really is going to be kind of like a three or four team race. Although we should say like the Montreal Canadiens were looking pretty frisky there in the first twenty five thirty games, and they've really they've expedited oh, yeah. the process. The past five games are getting outscored thirty to nine. They're uh, they're 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 entering dark horse status here in terms of like potentially shutting guys down and just really fully embracing this down the stretch. Yeah, it's. Even the Flyers, I'm, yeah. I'm just surprised. That well, they how... also similarly started much like they banged yeah. too many wins at the start. Yeah, but it's just crazy to me that a team like the Flyers that's at, that's you know that bad. And I know they've tried to actually be competitive. They haven't intentionally tried to be bad. It's just you know Chuck Fletcher kind of doing his thing. Yeah. 
But looking at that roster without Couturier, without uh, Atkinson, the injuries that they've had and, and kind of the, just the lack of talent that they have up and down that entire roster, it's it's crazy to me that they're only, what, like the sixth, seventh worst team yeah. in hockey right now. Like that's that's kind of nuts to me. Yeah, I saw this pointed out because they played the Ducks the other night and, and handled them pretty pretty easy, and they also just walloped the Coyotes, as I said. Um, and so it was pointed out, like, this is the difference between a really bad, like, well-coached team and a really bad, poorly-coached team. Yeah. And they're like, the Ducks are just, like, such a mess structurally and everything. And, and for everything you'll say about John Torrell, and I obviously completely agree with a lot of his philosophies and, and thoughts on playing skilled hockey and this and that, like, there's no doubt that, like, he's there to try to win as much as he can yeah. at this point of his career. And, and whether that's good or bad for the organization and whether that'll like, they're still going to lose a lot of games, but like guys are st- still playing hard and being held accountable. And like, they're trying to maintain some sort of a defensive identity as opposed to just like fully just being catastrophically bad at everything. Right. And so it's uh the gap between those two is, is, is thin, but also pretty massive in the grand scheme of things. So, all right. That was 25 minutes on, being bad at hockey. Well, no, we talked about Bedard, yeah. who's really good at hockey, which is why it's motivating for a lot of these teams to be as bad as they can. Uh, Harm, we're going to take a quick break here, and then when we come back, um, I've got a few other fun topics that are going to be more more encouraging and optimistic, hopefully, for us to uh, discuss. So you're listening to the Hockey Pediocast on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Guys, Harm and Dial. Harm, let's talk about the Avs. Um, we watched them play the Canucks on Thursday night. Um, we also, when we started this show here in the studio, we had a replay of the game going. It's it, it's over now, so we can't uh, reference the tape anymore in that regard. But I want to talk about them because they are reeling a bit here. They're 19, 15, and 3 on the year now. They're down a 7th in the West in point percentage. Now, it's pretty tightly packed between like them, the Flames, the Oilers, the Predators, even the Blues. Like it there's this kind of like jumble of teams that are on the fringes of the playoffs in the West. And, and fortunately for those teams that the West is so much better or so much worse than the East this season, because they might be in serious trouble if they were in the opposite conference. But on the one hand, I keep saying it's impossible to fairly evaluate or judge this team just because they've lost so many man games to injury, especially with like key players, not just random fringe guys like legitimate valuable players who would who would be like completely soul crushing for pretty much any other team in the league yet they've still managed to win games but it's just so far off of the standard that we've seen them set in the past and what our expectations were for them that I feel like we do need to talk more about what's going on because we keep saying well let's wait till they get healthy let's wait till April May but if things keep going this way like it's 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 going to get dicier and dicier for them I think. Yeah, and they're going to have to make an assessment pretty soon on how aggressively they push at the deadline, too. Because you can't trade as a contender your first-round pick every year. You can't give up a huge package. And I I think this next month or, or so will be huge in telling management how aggressively they can push their chips into the middle of the table. Because if they continue to stumble... And there's some uncertainty because keep in mind, I've 
for most of the year sort of been with you in the sense that you can't, you know, you can't properly evaluate them with the number of key injuries that they've had. And it's remarkable that they've stayed in the race, um, period. Yep. But you also can't discount how difficult it can be to, when guys get back, it's going to take them time to get back up to speed. It can take time to sort of build team chemistry, really gel, find your groove as a team. We saw it with Vegas where they were hammered with injuries for most of the year. And then, you know, they got started getting guys back like Eichel and Stone. Yep. And they never really took off, yeah. even even in, in, in the, you know, couple months that they had with, you know, most of their top guys back. So there is a bit of a worry there. Well, you know what happens with guys coming back off of serious injuries? Sometimes they get re-injured. Yeah. Right? Or other guys who have been healthy in the meantime wind up getting injured, right? Like, it, it's... You, you, it's tricky because, yeah, you all you can really do is kind of just hope and wait and be patient until those guys come back. But you're also working under the assumption that once they do, everything is going to be smooth sailing. And we know that in the NHL, like that's very rarely the case. Yeah, and there's also so much uncertainty. Like they'll probably get Nuchushkin and Manson and and, and um, Rodriguez back sooner rather mm-hmm. than later. But there's still a lot of uncertainty about Landeskog. Yeah. And and Byram and Byram and with Landeskog especially as their captain and that loss stings especially because they also lost Kadri and Burakovsky so yeah. they've already kind of been too reliant on that top line to drive the bus for them. If there's uncertainty about well, is he like when is he going to come back? Is he even going to be healthy for the playoffs? What's he going to look like? If they're not confident, then when it comes to the deadline, for example, everybody's been linking the idea of Horvat to the Avs, right. and that seems like a perfect fit on fit on paper. But if there's still so much up in the air about Landis Cog, can you really afford to sort of give up a king's ransom yep. for a rental, or or would they be better off than sort of? going for a more modest acquisition, uh, a cheaper one, like maybe if Sean Monaghan gets healthy again and he's uh, he's clicking, like could they go for a second or third tier sort of option and, and more sort of add around the fringes rather than going for the home run swings that, the, that I think we thought that they'd probably be going for. Yeah, it's tough. I'm generally a proponent of when you have, at least in theory or on paper, the type of talent this team has, windows to compete and be good and while all these guys are in their primes are so short and fleeting yeah they like and especially as a defending champs like i'm i'm generally all for just going for it as hard as you can but i mean it's been like a cursed year for them right and you look for the season they're 30th in five on five scoring rate only the blackhawks who we just spent 25 minutes talking about how much they suck and the ducks similarly score less frequently than they do at five on five. Like that's, that's wild. Even with all the injuries, they've still had yeah. good players playing. And you look last night, it really showed not the talent deficiency they have, but how reliant on those top players you are. They are where you look at the ice times and like Makar's over 30 minutes, Rantanen's at like 26. And then you look th- throughout the production. Now we should say like Dennis Morgan got hurt like a minute into the game yeah. or something. And they're dressing Curtis McDermott for some reason as a forward, and, and he's basically a zero. Like, he's a, yeah. a placeholder in name, but not an actual production. But only five of their four, 12 forwards got a shot on goal last night. And a lot of the games played on special teams. And all, there's a lot of context there involved. But, like, it's wild just how reliant they are, basically, on, like, three or four guys to do everything right now. 
And that's tricky because we just talked about how, okay, you're kind of trying to buy yourself time until guys come back and get healthy. But it almost runs counterintuitive then to be riding McKinnon and Rantanen and McCarr and Taves to this degree in the meantime because it feels like you're playing a pretty dangerous game of potentially putting them in harm's way if they're playing such an aggressive amount of minutes. You know what I mean? Like it's, you're not really ensuring that you're going to be ready to go when some of these other guys come back if all of a sudden the healthy players right now are going to wind up being hurt. Especially because they had the shortest offseason of yeah. any team in the league. Yeah. So you're already coming off of a, a deep, such a deep playoff run where you pick up all those bumps and bruises and you you miss out on two months of, of off-season recovery, which, great, it, it won you a Stanley Cup. I, I think, obviously, every, yeah, every team would, yeah. would take that exchange. But then you're riding them so heavily, and it, it, it showed last night. I, I thought that was... It was shocking to me how Devon Taves looked. And, and look, any player can have an off night yeah. on, on any given... Um, yeah, he's tired, man. He, he's tired, <laughs> right? Like, you saw the giveaways, even the whole... The whole uh, sequence where the Canucks scored three goals in two thirty or so to 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 come back to and win game, that yeah. game, yeah. it started with Taves having such. Uh, there was an icing where yeah. Taves had such a clear sort of leg up on uh, Jack Stadnika, yeah. and Taves I think just kind of like put it in cruise control, yeah. and Stadnika beat beat him to the call. Taves take, takes a penalty. Kuzmenko scores on the ensuing ensuing power play, and it was that sort of really routine such an elementary icing that Tay should have won that started that whole um comeback yep. and he just looked like a shadow of himself even McKinnon like I know he's coming back from injury you could tell he was like trying to dangle through four guys and you you could sense the feeling of no one else on this team other than my line is going to score yep. so I've got to do it all myself and that's it's it's fair for Taves to be tired, and it's fair for yeah. McKinnon to feel that way because that's kind of the reality of their environment right now. Like you look at the season, McCarr is averaging twenty seven fourteen per game, Taves over twenty five, Mikko Rantanen twenty three oh seven, which for non McDavid Dreisaitl forwards basically is. I think you got to go back to like the the prime Ilya Kovalchuk days to find numbers and uh, to find totals in that kind of caliber. McKinnon over twenty two minutes, right, and. That usage is is on the one hand a necessity for them right now, but coming into the year, it's completely the opposite of what I thought their season would look like. like yeah. I thought we'd see a lot of load management, yeah. a lot of like sitting on back to back because they played so late into last summer because they have Stanley Cup aspirations again and because they're a smart organization, right? Like they I think they're taking a bigger picture view of these things. And so I really didn't think we'd see them leaning on Makar for 30 plus minutes a night consistently the way yeah. he has in the past couple of weeks, they have no other real choice. Like, I, I'm not sure what Jared Bednar really can do. Like, I think he clearly needs to find some way to manufacture positive shifts and positive minutes for some of these other guys and, and figure out a way to do so to put him in a position to succeed. Because I don't think this is a sustainable alternative. Like, I don't think they can keep going this way, but it's tough. I mean, I highly recommend checking out Miko Rantanen's game log because it's it's wild. Like here in the past ten games he's played, here are some ice time totals for him. Twenty six minutes, twenty seven minutes, twenty six minutes, twenty nine, twenty six, twenty nine, twenty seven. That's all in the past ten games. Jesus. And and he's having an unreal season. Like it's it's wild to me that he wasn't 
an Colorado's All Star, yeah. and it's Camel Car is just like with, with these things. It's it's a popularity contest, and it's exciting to have him there. And Camel Car is awesome, like no, no doubt. But Miko Rantanen has been their most important player this year. You look, he's got he scored twenty five percent of their goals this season. He's got a primary point on forty percent of their goals. Like he has been the team for a lot of these stretches. It's not great to be in what what is what month is now January. It's not great to be halfway through the season and being like. All right, Miko, let's get back out there for 29 minutes tonight where you have to attempt 17 shots on goal and we need you to score two goals or we're not going to have a chance to win. Like, they have to play that way right now, but I, they need to be figuring out some different options, I think. Can you imagine, to how this season could have gone if they didn't nail their goaltending decision in the offseason yeah. by bringing in Georgiev? Right. He's he's obviously slowed down a little bit over the no, last No, but him and Francis and Francis as well, he was healthy. Both were playing really well for them. Exactly, game. and especially in the first the first you know stretch of first you know few months he was up really up until the last five games unreal like yep. outstanding not just not not just the sort of goaltender where you look at oh okay he's been good considering the environment or whatever mm-hmm. or or you know Colorado has a reputation for whether it's been you know Grubauer or in the past they can just sort of like prop up a lot of these yep. a lot of these goaltenders but he was genuinely terrific and in a goaltending market last summer that was very challenging to navigate around. A lot of teams had to, you know, uh, take really risky bets. We're seeing the Jack Campbell signing, for example, blow up in Edmonton's face. For Joe Sackick to have nailed a third sort of goaltending decision um, by bringing in Georgiev and him having the season that he's had, considering Georgiev had never really been a starter right. previously in his career and was coming off a year where he was below 900 save percentage-wise for the Rangers. Yep. That's that's It was a calculated really risk impressive. to pay off, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, you look at the the cap percentage that they allocate to their goalies compared to a lot of the other teams. Like, they have to do that because of how much they're paying some of the other players, but it's also the way to do it, as it turns out. Um, all right, that's enough on the abs. Let's do – let's end the show – by doing a little thought exercise that I presented to you before we started recording. I, I, you were like, oh, I'm going to drive in. I'll be there in 15 minutes. I'm like, I want you to spend that time, of course, driving safely, keep your eyes on the road. But also, while you're doing so, try to, in the back of your mind, try to think about where you want to see Timo Yeah, Meyer pull up go. my phone while I'm driving. Yeah. Sort of around a cab friendly. Yeah. <laughs> no, do, do not do that. I advocate for safe driving. But I was like, think about where you want to see Timo Meyer. Let's, get, let's talk a bit about Meyer. I'm curious for your your ideal landing spot for him because i mean he's an awesome player so like there's any number of teams that you could pick and i'd be like yeah i would love to see him there but give me give me your your number one spot for him because i think this is a, a topic that's going to heat up quite a bit over the next like whatever five or six weeks yeah i'd love to i'd love to see him on calgary mm. i um i just think that's the perfect fit for what they need where they ha- where i like their top four Markstrom is generally. I know he's been inconsistent this season, and he's he's had even previous years like the 2021 campaign where he can be uh, high and low. But I think he's generally a good goaltender, so I feel confident in their ability to prevent prevent goals. Mm-hmm. But manufacturing offense has been a real difficulty with the loss of Goudreau and Kachuk, especially with uh, Huberto um, sort of misfiring and and being on pace for 57 points or whatever it is. Him being a huge letdown. I think they really, really lack a dynamic game breaker. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Meyer would be able to add to the table. The Flames are, are bottom 10 right now for uh, for for offense, for goals scored. And it feels like they're having to, like they 
they can control play and they can sort of create chances, but they don't have that ability to just in one play sort of like throttle the opposition right. just like that. And that's, I think, what Meyer brings to the table. And on top of that, I also think stylistically he gives them speed, mm-hmm. which which they need. I think that obviously an older sort of veteran squad that um, that can be a little bit slow, look a little bit slow at times. But then he also has the size and the physicality to sort of like Daryl Sutter is going to look at him and be like, great, like yeah. this guy can be a physical uh, a beast for us as well. And I, I just look at that fit. And obviously they're going to have to make, make the math work cap wise. Right. That's a, tr- um, that's gonna be a tricky part. That's going to yeah. be the tricky part. Yeah. Definitely. But if San Jose can retain and Calgary, you know, figures out, uh, figures out a way to send another contract back. I think it's well worth for the flames looking to sort of navigate around the math because given the age of some of the players on their team and some of the contracts that they have, like whether it be Markstrom, Tanev, yeah. Coleman, um, guys like Toffoli, uh, obviously Kadri now. Yeah, Huberto. Yeah, I mean, the Backlund. These guys, like yeah. these are like the time to win is within the next two years before a lot of these contracts start turning ugly. So I think it makes sense for them to kind of push their chips into the middle of the table and, and go after Meyer. I like that one. Well, okay, let's set the scene for people. So he's 26. He's playing on a $6 million AAV right now, which will be is good because it'll allow San Jose, assuming they go this route, to facilitate a lot more deals because especially if you're retaining 50%, like that's much more manageable to fit in than a lot of players of his caliber if you were trying to acquire them right now. The trick is he's got that $10 million qualifying offer, and I imagine any trade that involves him will come with some sort of of extension in place, or at least it'll be talked about. For, or they may for, even for look the at him as a rental. Like I think, I think a team like the Flames may may just straight up look at him um, like a rental, or even a team like the Leafs, if they're interested in adding scoring help, may just look at him as a rental. Yeah, no, well, I didn't even really think about it through that lens because I, I I thought about it as like, I think you're gonna have to blow away the Sharks with whatever package you put together mm-hmm. for him, and that's gonna be tough to justify unless. It's like we're paying a premium for this guy, but it's because he can help us compete for Stanley Cup now, and we're gonna have him for the next four or five years of his remaining prime, as opposed to just like we're gonna give you every single interesting young asset we have right now and just go but for it, it for also, the next thirty games. The qualifying offer also hurts, I think, the Sharks is Yeah, leverage. it does. Like it does. that's ten million is it's a lot. Well the th- the thing with the Sharks, though, is like, and I think part of what's complicating this is, is we're working under the assumption that they're going to trade him. Yeah. I was under working under the assumption they were going to trade Tomas Hurdle at the trade deadline last year, and now he was an impending mm-hmm. UFA without this qualifying offer hanging over him. But I was like, given the status of this team, there's no way they're going to pay this guy who's even older than, than Meyer, and then they just gave him a mega contract offer to basically stay there for the rest of his career. So I'm... I'd I'd like to think the Meyer will be playing on some contender down the stretch, but I feel like it's still up for debate in terms of what what they're trying to accomplish, yeah. how they view things. Now, you know, it's different. Like Mike Greer has come in in the meantime, and he's kind of he inherits a clean slate, right? So he's not really beholden mm-hmm. to to what they did last year or, or any of these existing contracts they have. He can do whatever he wants. But the team that I had was the New Jersey Devils, which is kind of the obvious pick. But the more I think about it, the more that I need to see this happen because I do not want to watch any more shifts with Eric Halla playing with Jack Hughes. And, and Eric Halla is a fine player. I think they brought him in with the idea that he'd be like their third center 
or like, yeah. and, and he fits with the identity of like the pace they want to play with, the tenacity. He's a highly useful player, but he should not be Jack Hughes' most common line mate this season. And this came up during a press conference or a post game media session after their loss last night, where Lindy Ruff was asked, like, why does Eric Hall keep playing with Jack Hughes? And Ruff gave the answer essentially along the lines of, like, well, we've looked at it, and when he plays with him, they have possession more. He helps he helps recover the puck, make sure that we're not spending Jack Hughes' shifts chasing the puck and that it's useful. And I agree, but I was thinking about this. Like, a, a creator of Jack Hughes' caliber, right, where, like, every time he's on the ice, the Devils get some sort of scoring chance, basically. It's good that they have that they have guys who can do the dirty work and get the puck for him. I want to see them surround him with more high-level finishers, though, mm-hmm. right? Like, he's the type of player where he's creating some of these, like, grade-A opportunities time and time again, and it's so frustrating to see them flub them or, or not make the most of them and then us go back to the drawing board and be like, oh, well, listen, that was a, that was a high-expected goal total for that scoring chance right there. If they keep, if they keep doing this, it's going to go in. And then it's like, oh, well, we've been for the past year and a half, he's been surrounded by guys who I just think don't have the skill level other than when he's playing with Jesper Bratt. But if they want to spread the wealth and kind of diversify their forward group and he's playing with Eric Halla, like I, I just, I, it's disappointing. I want to see more. And I don't know. Do you think that, do you think that's, that's I like fair that. to say? Yeah. I really like that, especially because earlier in the summer, there was a lot of talk about the devils and do they need to add another sort of top flight forward? That was a lot of the, the discussion, even when, for example, it sounded like, well, could the Canucks move JT Miller? It's, it sounded like New Jersey was one of the dark horse teams there. And Meyer also gives them something a little bit different too, in terms of his size and his strength, his ability to play on the inside, because I think one of the, um, one of the criticisms I've heard from sort of other teams around the league is that, they maybe lack that physical element a little mm. bit that, you know, are they a team that can be pushed to the outside a little bit? And Meyer would certainly give them some bite and, and some real muscle in addition to that dynamic skill and that finishing ability. So I I really like that fit. Yeah. Well, so Hala is, as I said, Hughes' most common linemate this year. He's played 500 five on five minutes. He has one goal on 118 shot attempts. Now, I'm sure there's some regression of all. He could yeah. have a hat trick next game, although probably not but yeah um yeah i mean and like jack hughes himself is scoring a lot he's gonna have like 100 points this season yeah he's an unreal player i just think the ceiling is even higher based on how much he's creating and i, I think they, it would behoove them to like maximize that as, as opposed to being com- being happy with what they're getting and being like oh this is good enough like i think shoot for the shoot for the stars right um with meyer we've kind of you, you touched on this and like the reason why he's so interesting is he would fit on calgary he would fit on like the Islanders playing on Matt Barzal's wing if they could somehow facilitate that. He would fit on this Devils team because he's so versatile. Yeah, like any way you want to play, he's big enough and strong enough where if you want to grind out sustained offensive zone possessions, cycling the puck around and you know controlling the game that way, he can play that way. If you want him to take the puck from the defensive zone, transport it off the rush, and create a rush look for himself or a teammate, he can do that. If you want him to stand and be the trigger man on a power play. He can do that. Yeah. And and there's very few players who become available who can check all those boxes. Generally, it's like, well, this guy does this one thing really well and this team needs that, so let's pair the two together. In this case, it's like anywhere you want to play him, on any team, on any line, with any players, I feel like Timo Meyer is going to get his 
And that's a pretty cool quality that I think makes him so appealing as as a guy for a lot of these teams. The reason why I like the Devils fit in particular is they have a lot of money coming off the books this summer. Now they're going to have to allocate some of it to Brad and some of their other RFAs. But they really should be like, all right, we've stumbled upon an amazing nucleus here. What are our next five years going to look like? As opposed to just worrying about this year or being like, oh, we don't care about this year. Let's take a really distant view. I want them to find a nice balance between those two. And Meyer really checks so many boxes for them. And that's kind of why I identified them as my favorite fit. Yeah, no, I, the more you're, the more you're talking to, let's send it into the, let's send it into the league. Yeah. Especially because they, the New Jersey long-term is so stacked on the blue line already They're And they're going to have Luke Hughes and Simone Nemich. Yeah. Second overall pick sort of coming in over the next couple of years. So knowing that you already have this top four that you're already pretty comfortable with you're already getting reliable two-way play from that back end and knowing that there's going to be even more talent on the way you can afford to sort of make your book big push on making your top end offensively up front even more explosive yeah because they've got they've got hamilton marino and siegenthaler basically set yeah right and then like graves and and severson are playing good roles for them but they're kind of in that like three to four million dollar yeah. range, and they're and they're uh, expiring this year, and so they're like luxury items for them, and yeah. it's great. But if you want to get creative and add a guy like Meyer, and then pay whatever his long term deal is going to look like, you can still do that and retain Brad and all their other RFAs, and basically just plug in your third pair with guys on rookie deals yeah. and shelter the shelter the living daylights out of them, right? So something to think about. Um, I'm I'm certainly interested in. I think the Devils are in good shape still. They're sputtering a bit though, right? They're three eight and two. Yeah. Recently, they're fine. They're still ahead of the curve, but that Metro is such a such a meat grinder that I feel like the margin for error is dwindling. So like doing something aggressive and meaningful is what I want to see from them. And 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 so, all right. Well, harm. This is a blast. We didn't even get to talk about JT Miller. I had a I had a full <laughs> section that I wanted, but I, you know what? I feel like you're probably you're probably tired of that by now. Um, I'll let you plug some stuff. What uh what have you been working on, and uh, where can people check out your work? Yeah, uh, people can check out my work uh, at The Athletic. And um, just yesterday I wrote a, a piece uh, breaking down every big offseason, every team's biggest offseason acquisitions, the biggest one to three, and um, and sort of just analyzing um, which ones have, have worked out really well and which ones have been Eric at Branson. <laughs> <laughs> the scale of good to Branson. I love that. That's, that sells itself. All right, man. Well, this is a blast. Um, people... My only plug is if people have been enjoying the show, they can go smash that five-star button and help us out by leaving a good rating and review wherever they listen to the show. And otherwise, um, another week is in the book here on the PDOcast. We'll be back on Monday with more. So until then, thank you for listening to the Hockey PDOcast on the Sportsnet Radio Network.